this is my third um, week in teaching concerning um, a year of pursuing vision. Specifically, we are vision casting in terms of pursuing a vision of discipleship, I should say, um, this year. And so this is my third week. Today, I want to talk on the call to leadership, the call to leadership. Those of you who've been following our teaching, we began to talk about the call to discipleship. The call to discipleship. The fact that our Lord Jesus invites his followers to be his disciples. You can be a church goer and not be a disciple of Jesus. You can be a member of a church and not be a disciple of Jesus. You can be saved going to heaven and not be a disciple of Jesus. Discipleship is a choice. And what is a disciple? It is a person who is a disciplined follower of Jesus, a disciplined follower of Jesus. In those days and even in today, the word disciple is not a religious term. It's just simply somebody who is a student, an adherent, or a follower of someone. So when we talk about being disciples in our context, we're talking about being disciplined followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it comes with a price. And so not every person who's going to heaven wants to be a disciple, believe it or not. Not every person who's going to heaven, some of us, we just want fire insurance, we want to make sure we're saved, and we have a good life, and, uh, you know, we use the, the Christian faith to just, you know, get money, get married, get a good funeral, and go to heaven, you know, um, so that's what some, sometimes if you listen to some of our teachings in, uh, in various churches and so forth, even some of the things we've said in the past, it just appears as if you get saved to have an improved life, improved life. But that's not what Jesus came to establish. And so he calls all his followers to be his disciples. And if you are a follower of Christ, you are mandated to be a disciple. You see, if you are a disciple, you will definitely be saved. But it doesn't necessarily follow just because you go to church and you read your Bible that you are saved. And I don't know if you're saved. I only have to work on my own salvation. The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Anyway, so the call is to discipleship. We looked at that. And then last week we looked at the call to fruitfulness, the call to fruitfulness, whereby as disciples, what demonstrates that you are a disciple is the fact that you are fruitful. And so let's take it out from there. John chapter 15, verse 8, and also verse 16. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you may bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. One of the things that you need to recognize about um, being a disciple of Jesus is the reality that he expects fruit from us. He expects fruit from us. And that when we are fruitful, we are actually glorifying the Father. We're glorifying the Father. Again, in church, at times, we have a concept about glorifying God, and we, 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 we think it has to do with how we sing songs or what we say. So if I say, I magnified thee, use an old English, you know, just to polish it, I magnified thee, I glorified thy name, O holy God, then we're glorifying God. But actually, scripturally, to glorify God is to bear fruit of other disciples. So every believer is called to be a disciple, and every disciple is called to bear fruit. And one of the reasons why we are emphasizing on this is because as a church, we are focusing on a vision for discipleship, a vision for discipleship this year. Um, as, a, as a ministry and as a movement of churches, 2016, we've dubbed it a year of pursuing vision. Say to your neighbor, pursue the vision of God for your life. Tell them. So we, are, we have dubbed it a year of pursuing vision. And, you know, on, on Friday when I met with my cell group, I asked them, so what does a year of pursuing vision mean for you? 
and uh, they were sharing different things. And I wonder, for you, what does a year of pursuing vision mean for you? And one of the things that it must mean for you is that you are going to pursue a vision of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Because for us, as a church, we want to make sure that this year, every member has an opportunity to develop at their level of maturity. We have a membership discipleship program from new believer to ordained minister. And so all our members at different levels of your development, we want to encourage you to be a part of that. You know, next month we begin New Believers class. So if you haven't gone through that, we want to encourage you to be a part of that and so forth. And also we want, as a church, to embrace the vision of God for us for this year in this area as a corporate body. And uh, I pray that you will really be a part of that. And then God's vision for the body of Christ as a movement, we want to embrace it, which is to make disciples. We want to be involved in all of that. Okay, so the call to leadership. The call to leadership. By definition, Miles Monroe, the late Miles Monroe, defines leadership, and I think his definition is the best. He defines leadership as the ability to influence others. The ability to influence others. And so, in practice, as a believer, when you look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, it is obvious that we are to influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, by default, there is a mandate to leadership that every child of God has been called to. In one way or another, you influence people, whether you like it or not. In one way or another, there are people that your life has influence over. Whether it's your child, whether it's your friends, whether it's work colleagues, whether it's uh, um, um, different relationships that you are involved in, one way or another, you influence them. Now, if you have embraced the call to be a disciple, then you need to recognize that you are called to influence your world with the kingdom of God. Now, another thing I want to say before we get into this is that at times, many of us have a wrong concept of leadership. A wrong concept of leadership. And our concept of leadership has to do with positions, has to do with privilege, has to do with a title, the affirmation of men um, or women. And uh, that is the concept we have. So when you hear the term cell leader, you may say, not for me, immediately. Because in your mind, it is a position that the church has invented to put you under bondage. <laughs> and so, no, it's not, for, it's not for me. But if I was to say to you, are you willing to help someone younger in the faith to know Jesus? If they came to you, would you be willing to help them over a period of time? Most normal believers will say, yeah, of course, why not? Yeah, but they're going to pester you every week. Well, I may not be there every week, but I'd like to be there. I'd like to help them out. Can I talk to them on the phone? Can I follow them up? Can I meet them from time to time? Most believers will say yes. But that's what cell, cell leadership is all about. Hallelujah. Say to your neighbor, he's talking to you. All right. <laughs> I am. I'm actually talking to you. <laughs> so leadership in the context of many people limits them to a mindset whereby they exclude themselves. So you hear people say, me, I'm not a leader. I'm just a, an ordinary Christian. Um, that statement is an oxymoron. If you are an ordinary Christian, then you should be a Bible-believing Christian who is a little Christ. You know, that's what really Christian is, little Christ. And as an ordinary little Christ, you should be casting out demons, healing the sick, you know, you should be sharing the gospel. If you are an ordinary Christian, you should be supernatural. Are you still there? Amen. That's an ordinary Christian, not this. If you said, I'm just a churchgoer, that's different. If you call yourself a churchgoer, that's different. Me, I just sit on the chairs and I come to church. I pay my tithe. I give my offering. But then I live my life. None of this thing that you're talking about. It's not for me. 
then that's fine, you're right. But if you are a follower of Jesus, some of you, I'm not sure whether you want to stone me right now, but you know what, I'm still going to persevere. <laughs> now, in the context that we're teaching, leadership involves encouraging, instructing, informing, and inspiring others to pursue a direction that you would like them to follow. So if you would like to inspire someone to follow Jesus, if you'd like to encourage someone to follow Jesus, if you'd like to instruct someone to follow Jesus, if you would like to inform someone to follow Jesus, then you are a potential leader because that's how you exert your influence over others. Now, the world has its methods when it comes to leadership, and God's kingdom has its methods. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 to 28. Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. And he says, now this was where the disciples were not very happy that the mother of James and John had decided to, um, to approach the Lord and um, ask him so that his son, their, her sons, James and John, would sit on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. I mean, this woman is bold, man. You know, she, 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 she thought to herself, what is the highest possible position that is available in the kingdom of God? You know, if she could have, she would have said, you get off the throne, Jesus, and let my son sit on it. But she figured, no, Jesus, you can sit on your throne, but on your left hand and on your right, James can be on the right He's the oldest, and then John on the left. So my two sons, sons of thunder, will be there. <laughs> wow. Hmm, I wonder if we're like this woman. So <laughs> when the other disciples heard it, they were furious. It's like, what on earth? She'll be my mom. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so verse 25. So they were arguing amongst themselves, so the Lord speaks. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know, that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, there will be those among us who will be quite clever and they'll say, me, I don't want to be great here. I don't want to be great here. You know, you've got your great people. Pastor Joe is great. Jake is great. Me, I don't want to be great here. But if you're honest, you want to be great somewhere. You want to have authority somewhere. You know how you measure the kind of authority you want? You know how you measure it? With this. Money. If I was to ask you a question, an honest question, you know you've heard me say this over and over, how many of you would like to be rich? Honestly, how many? How many would like to be rich? Can I see? Wave, 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 wave. How many of you would like to be poor? Let me see. Right. So we all like to be rich. Now, the next question would be why? Why do you want to be rich? Even though you know the Bible teaches against it. Are you still there? Do you know the Bible actually teaches against it? You're looking at me straight. Ah, ah. Oh, the Bible teaches against the desire to be rich. Didn't you know? Or have you been influenced by televangelists? No, I'm telling you the truth. The Bible actually teaches that. Now, we don't have time for it, but you check it out in 1 Timothy chapter 6 from verse 9. And it's very clear, the Bible teaches against the desire to be rich. And even in the Old, even Old Testament, where God blesses this, the, the saints, he's very clear, do not be hasty to be rich. Don't be hasty, don't be quick to get rich. But how many of us would like to be rich quickly? Come on, let's be honest. Even after hearing that, we still, if I said to you, I, I, I give you an opportunity to be rich quickly, how many of you would like that? Hey, look at you now lying, come on. I'm preaching, but if you gave me a million pounds, I would take it. Of course, I would take it. Be honest. There is a problem. But here's the question, why? It is because of what, if I said, how many of you want a million stones, gravel, sand, a million tons of sand, who 
wants that? But if I said to you, how many want a million tons of gold, even though you have no space, somehow you would want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the question is, why? It's because of what money can do. It gives you authority to access anything that this world has to offer. So it represents authority. It represents power. You understand? Yeah, do you understand? So even though you know the Bible teaches against the desire to be rich, even though you know it, you would still like to be rich if you're honest. Hey, hmm, my church has gone very quiet now. They don't know whether I'm teaching heresy or Bible. But I'm telling you, it's Bible, it's proper Bible. So you need to understand the difference. These verses that we've read teaches us the difference between leadership in the world which has to do with authority and power and leadership in the kingdom of God. So our Lord says, this is how the world exercises leadership. He says, those of this world, the rulers of the Gentiles, their concept of leadership or their function in leadership primarily from a place of one's position, from a place of position, they are rulers in positions of authority who demonstrate their authority through lordship. Now, that word lordship in the Greek speaks of control and the exercising of dominion over those they lead. So in the world, in the system of this world, leadership is from a place of position and the ability to exercise authority over others in a given context. So that is, they're able to control, subjugate, and exercise dominion over those they lead. And their greatness, that is their sense of responsibility and impact, is derived from the level of privilege they have access to. Um, he, says, he says, they exercise authority. The Greek word kata, kate exousia, which is really saying exercise authority. So they do that. Uh, as they exercise authority, they demonstrate that they are men or women with great leadership power, ability. That's how it's done in the world, by exerting authority or exercising authority. So, if you look at it, just look at it in your mind. Just look at those in the world. Just look at those in authority. Just look at even the work context. Anyone of high regard in this world, great achievers of this world, those of influence are seen as great by the standards of this world because of their ability to exercise authority over others in a given context and because of their privileges, the privileges that they have access to. So leadership, you just think of any context of leadership, there will be with it a privilege of some sort that not everybody has access to. That's just how it is. And that's how the world views leadership. That is the concept of leadership that is in the world. God's kingdom is quite different. The concept of leadership in God's kingdom and the concept of greatness in God's kingdom is very different. Listen, even in a church context, this worldly concept of leadership is evident. So for instance, if a person comes to our church and they look for the pastor if they're coming to a church and they're looking for the pastor, their expectation is to see, especially the senior pastor or the bishop of the house, the expectation is to see some majestic-looking chap <laughs> who, you know, has, you know, knows what they're about, you know, uh, speaks really well and uh, carries themselves with authority. And, and when you say, this is the pastor, why is it that a lot of them are surprised? Come on, just be honest. Why, why are they surprised when you tell them who the pastor is? Like if we have a joint service and, you know, these, all these people are there and then people are, you know, different ones and then they say, sorry, where's your pastor? And so, oh, he's over there. No, no, where's your pastor? I didn't say, where's the uh, doorman? Where's the pastor? Because <laughs> the other day we had uh, some people came here you know, and I came in late, and then I was greeting, talking to people, and this is, and they said, "Oh, great!" So, 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 what do you do? 
So I said, well, I'm the pastor. <laughs> and they just ignored it and said, no, <laughs> no, no, come on, what do you do? <laughs> I said, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm the pastor. And they said, are you Pastor Joe? I said, unfortunately, I am. And so they asked me, you're Pastor Joe? <laughs> because even in church, we have a concept that the man of God, not the man of God, the man of God must be great. Once I had the leader tell me, I need my pastor to be someone I can look up to. They weren't talking about my morality. No, it wasn't that. No, no, they weren't. They were very clear. They, they, they said, come on, Joe. I mean, the way at times, you, you know, even the way you dress, I mean, come on. Because that's how we look at things in the world. Are you, are you, are you hearing me? <laughs> you know, Jeremy Corbyn, not that I believe in what he stands for, because I don't, but Jeremy Corbyn, he had a hard time because his tie wasn't in order. What's I going to do with anything? You know, and he's a bit scruffy. And so it was, they were giving him a hard time. Now, I, I like politicians like Corbyn, even though I don't agree with what it, most of what they say. Some of it is all right, but most of it. I don't agree with all of them. Most, I don't agree with any of them, actually, <laughs> most things, you know. But, so let's be clear. I don't believe in any of them. Uh, yeah, let's move on. So anyway... That's the world's concept of greatness. It has to do with prestige, privilege, impact. You know, how, how great or how, how much responsibility do you have? Aha, then we know you are great. But in God's kingdom, it's not like that. He says, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. In other words, in God's kingdom, the desire to be great that is to make significant impact and have great authority must be governed by a willingness to put others first. It must be governed by a willingness to put others first. That's what it means to serve, to put others first. So the more authority I want in the kingdom of God, that is in the supernatural, that is in revelation, in prophetic knowledge, the greater my desire to put others, others first and my willingness to put others first and put myself last, the greater that must become. That's how it is in the kingdom. So, for instance, the Lord's example in verse 28, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You know, what he's showing us is this. Leadership and greatness in the kingdom of God is putting others first through service and being wholehearted to the point of death. Not only are you willing to put others first, like our Lord did, but you're willing to go all the way, even if it means it costs you your life. Because of God's will. That is what leadership is about. So we're going to look at that a little bit more. If I don't finish it this week, I'll finish it next week. But why the call to leadership as a disciple? Why are we even talking like this? Again, we've already said leadership is the ability to influence others. It's influence. And the disciple of Christ will therefore seek to influence others with what they have received from him. You know, in the Great Commission, he says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So, for us, our influence is rooted by, or rooted in, our desire to reveal the Lord Jesus. As disciples, we will not seek to represent ourselves. And, you know, more and more, I am realizing as a leader how bankrupt I am in myself. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not living an immoral life. I'm not stealing money. I'm not doing anything funny. But just 
in my personal history, my, my secret life with God before the Lord and how I deal with people, I am seeing more and more too much of Joseph and not enough of Jesus. It's too much of me that I'm seeing in how I relate to people. So I find at times um, certain things irritate me. That doesn't irritate the Lord. The other day I was, after another irritation was expressed, and I was totally justified as far as I was concerned. I went before him just to converse about certain things. I didn't need an anointing. And as soon as I began to converse, I got up and went back and just made a, uh, I had to just apologize. I said, uh, you know, the way I said that was, and I just felt like a fool, but I had to do it. I said, the way I said that was wrong, I was wrong, blah, 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 blah. So I went back and the light, I began to see more and I felt really bad. And then I said to him, you know, sometimes, Lord, I'm a, I'm a real idiot. He said, yeah, yeah, sometimes you are. Well, that's not what I actually expected to hear. I expected to hear, oh, no, you're not. You're my beloved child. No, he said, yeah, sometimes you are. So we quickly moved on. My point is, is this. Leadership as a disciple of Christ means that you are out to influence people with the influence of Jesus, not your personality, not your preferences. Are you still there? John 7, 18 is not there, but John 7, 18 says, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. When you speak of yourself, you're seeking your own glory. When you, you try to do things for yourself, it's because you're seeking your own honor. But when you try to represent Jesus, that's when you're genuine. That's when you're true. That's when your real influence can be seen. And that's when no unrighteousness can be accorded to you. Obeying the call of leadership for the disciple will therefore mean that as a disciple, I'm always wanting to emulate the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not about the, the pursuit of ambition um, rooted in self. It is not about the pursuit of my glory, of vainglorious desires. Now I've arrived. Now, you know, as I, you know, I've, I've been in church for a while, but now I have come to another level. And at this level, now nah, you must know that I too, Joseph Kofi Boudou the first, is a man of God. <laughs> you need help, Joe. You need help. But we all need help, isn't it? Come here. Because this is there. This is, this is what we battle with. If we're honest, you know, this is what we battle with. You know, if you are seriously seeking to be his disciple, then your focus is centered around him. Beloved, a kingdom, sorry, a culture of kingdom leadership in any context will result in great servants whose ministry will have an impact in this life, but whose works will follow them in the age to come. Obeying the call to leadership for the disciple is necessary because our world needs help. Our world needs light. Our world needs transformed lives. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16 is an example of the need why the need of leadership, why we need to be the leaders God has called us to be. Matthew 5, 13 to 16, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. If the salt loses its flavor, if it loses its strength, if it loses its purpose, it's useless. And that's why as a church corporately, the body of Christ in the West is becoming an irrelevance because we have lost our purpose. We are supposed to reflect Christ, promote him. We are supposed to be uncompromising, willing to be marginalized, willing to be misunderstood because of our allegiance to Christ. Instead, we are so busy trying to court 
the attention of the world, the acceptability of the world, that now we are afraid to call things that are sinful, sinful. Lest we are misunderstood of being bigots and being something phobic. Are you still there? You know, that's, that's what's happening. Verse 14. You, you know, you either be called a homophobic, Islamophobic, whatever phobic is there. Seems to be anything that, you know, the Christian faith is very clear against, there's a phobic going on, a phobia going on. Whatever phobic is there. What was it? Transphobic. Wow, new words all the time. Soon they will be pedophobic. I'm telling you, when we start speaking against it, soon they'll be, because they're trying to push that now. That's the next thing. I don't know if you, you watch, watch, you hear some of the foolishness that's been spouted out. Some eminent idiot says that it's now we should consider children, anyway, I don't even want to go there, but they're totally idiotic in Jesus' name. Yeah. We've, we've, we've lost the plot. The body of Christ generally, you, you find the so-called head of the church, a good man in many respects, say, apologizing. Apologizing. Now, it's good to apologize for bad behavior, but you need to contextualize it. When you're apologizing, you know what? Your choice of lifestyle is wrong, but how we've handled you is also wrong. But not you speak as if their choice of lifestyle is right. No. Look, I want to apologize for how I said that to you when you stole the money, you didn't steal any money. <laughs> I want to apologize to you. The way I said it was really bad. It was wrong. But you shouldn't be stealing. Not I want to apologize to you for how you stole the money. It doesn't matter if you steal or not because I love you. No, you just, give me back my money. Give me back my money. <laughs> so I, I want to be clear. We must always be kind and gracious to people who are different, who are struggling with sin. We have members who struggle with all kinds of sins. You know, some of us, some of you I speak to, we minister to you, and I don't want anybody to ever feel like there is a sin that is bigger than another. There is no such thing. But we must never compromise on the truth. We must never draw back from calling sin, sin. We must never do that. We must always love people. We must always welcome people, but we must also make it clear, I don't agree with your lifestyle. It's wrong. This lifestyle is wrong, especially if you're a member of this church. Those in the world, we, it's, it's one thing, but those in the church, we have to be very clear. Are you still here? All right, so please um, hear my heart. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. It's not you can be. You are the light. You are the only ones that will give light to this world. And what is that light? Jesus. He is that light. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. That hill is the hill of the Lord. It's a place where God is comfortable. It's a place of elevation. It's a place of promotion. It's a place of holiness. When you are set on that hill, you cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. Today, many lamps are under the basket of a church. Or religion. Ask it. He doesn't lit your lamp for it then to be hidden. Imagine being ashamed, embarrassed to tell our friends, people who come in close contact with us, that we believe in Jesus, to speak into moral issues with the wisdom and the love of God. Now, sometimes our people can be a bit foolish. You know, if you're talking to someone in the world, they don't have your morality. But, so you don't expect to impose on them. But if they ask you a question, tell them the truth. I have worked with people who have lived in um, totally country lifestyles. And we have, I've been very easy with them, very cool to work with them. And then they will ask me, so you are a Christian? I say, yeah. So, and I'm gay. I say, yeah. You definitely are. Because you've made it clear to me over and over again that you are. And they say, yeah, so what does it mean then? And I say, what do you mean? What do you say? Am I going to hell? Well, of course. Of course you are. What, because I'm gay? No, because you're not born again. 
it. So can I be gay and born again? You can be gay and a murderer. You can be born again and a murderer. And you still end up in hell. What are you saying? I'm saying sin is sin, period. It doesn't matter. The issue is sin is sin, period. So what, do I have to stop being gay to be born again? You need to be born again, period. So what do I do with the gay? Get born again first and you find out. Yeah, but your God is against homosexuals. My God is against sin. God so loved homosexuals and everybody else that he sent Jesus. That's it. But at times we lack wisdom. So, before I can, I'm gay, I, I want to come to your church. Well, you can't come to my church and remain gay. In Jesus' name, Santa Baba. <laughs> you, you lack wisdom. You lack wisdom. Yeah, we, our church is a radical church. My pastor is on fire for God. You tell you, you are a sinner. You go to hell, my pastor. It doesn't mess with the word. Come, you see. Come, you see. Oh, my Lord. You lack wisdom. This grace of all, all of us. This grace all of us. He doesn't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, which represents the church. That's what the church is, the lampstand. And he gives light to all who are in the house. We're supposed to give light. This is the way Jesus does it. And then he says, verse 16, let your light so shine before men. Not in some corner, before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to highlight three key things from these verses. First of all, as a disciple, you are salt. You are the salt of the earth. That means you preserve, you bring balance, you influence as salt. As salt, you preserve society from the judgment of God. You bring balance. You bring flavor to the world. Second, as disciples, we are the light of the world. That means we reveal truth. We bring reality. We, we show how things ought to be. This is how married life ought to be. If somebody comes into our home, they should see. This is how a man relates to his wife. This is how a woman relates to their husband. This is how a father relates to his children. This is how children relate to their parents. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I wonder what they'll find in your house and in my house. Will they find Aisha throwing a pan at me and I'm dodging <laughs> as Carice dives in the middle to protect me from her wrath? Will they find Daniel insulting his mother? Shut your mouth, stupid woman. What would they find? What would they find? Or Carice beating Joel. What would they find? <laughs> what would they find in your house? What would they find? Ask your neighbor, what would they find in yours? And what would they find? <laughs> hey, Lord help us. It's the light. The minute they hear daddy's in the house, everybody runs, daddy's coming. <laughs> Hello, dad. What would they find? What would they find? You know, when a husband wants to tell his wife something, he has to go through the paces of Mecca. <laughs> what would they find? Hey, what would they find? Hmm. I wonder. I wonder what they'll find. Hmm. We are the light of the world. But sometimes, the way, at times, like a Christian, you know, one of the things that scares me is when I hear, Christian business. Once we're going to get someone to do Christian business with, I just need business. You know, I need business. I don't need religion tagged to it. Because some of the worst businesses I have come across, I'm sorry to say, is been the ones that have been touted as Christian business. 
Christian car washing, Christian <laughs> restaurant making, Christian food, Christian... And it is, there is nothing Christian about it at all. Nothing. Christian mechanic, Christian this, and oh, Lord help us. <laughs> no, there's nothing Christian. There's, you know, Christian TV... <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm sorry to say it's some of the most limiting TV stations going very boring have you seen the cartoons they're awful it's like 1970 cartoon it's what's been spouted as Christian cartoons the graphics are awful don't call that Christian call that no a few programs here and there, but most of the programs are just preaching. Christian TV is about a pulpit preacher. I think that's just Sunday. Call it Sunday service channel. Sunday service. Not Christian. No. Christian film, and it's just boring. It's like a documentary. That makes it Christian. Oh. I don't get excited. I have to be honest when I hear there's a Christian film coming out. Here we go. I mean, one of the best Christian films I've ever watched is Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. Yeah, that's a brilliant Christian film. That's a proper Christian film done by a Catholic. Proper Christian film. Because if it was one of our people, I don't know, Shakalaba, it would have been all kinds of. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Not too much blood. Ooh, keep the blood down. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Christian comics, and it's just boring. I mean, I'm sorry. It's nothing. There's no light. There's no light. I don't know what a Christian laboratory will look like. Anyway, let me just move on. I don't know. So, how to be great. How to be great in the kingdom. I'm going to conclude with this. Help me with the time. Lord, help us. I don't know what this is all about. You're trying to be lazy. You have to do your own job. Help me out, please. So, how to be great in... How to be a great leader in the kingdom of God. I'm going to conclude on this. We've talked about what greatness is in the kingdom context. And it's not about position. It's not about power. It's not about, listen, it's not even about leaving a legacy in this life. It's not even about that. I'm telling you. There are many great men and women who sit on the high kings in heaven. Nobody has ever heard of them. Nobody knows of them. Some people, the only thing they ever did was feed one person. And yet they are a high king in heaven. Like Mike Bickle says, whether you are the great evangelist or the janitor, the pay is the same. Faithfulness. Were you faithful to where God called you, to what God, you, what God called you to do? Were you faithful? That's what he looks at. It's about, <laughs> it's about embracing the mind of Christ. And I want you to see the mind of Christ. Um, in fact, let me, I'll look at that next week. Let me just look at, let's look at something in Luke chapter 22, verses 24 to 30, and then we'll stop there. Help me with the time, please. In Luke 22, verses 24 to 30, is a similar episode, but a bit different. You know, sometimes you look at the disciples and you think they were so flawless. First of all, James and John's mom, earlier on, had gone to the Lord and said, I want him on the right hand and him on the left hand. I mean, and the Lord said something very interesting. He says, are you willing to suffer the way I have suffered? He said, yeah, we're willing. <laughs> they didn't even know what they were saying. Soon after, they couldn't even say, we know him. When people came, they ran off. 
right? When people came to them, they ran off. But the Lord then said, well, you will definitely suffer the way I've suffered. You will go through all the things I've gone through. But to sit on my right hand, on my left, and he's, this is a shocking statement. He said, it is not mine to give, but those it's been prepared for. So there is something that's been prepared for you by the Father that nobody is supposed to take. It's yours. And even Jesus himself could not give it to somebody else if he wanted to. Wow. Don't allow your destiny in God to be thwarted because of a wrong concept about who you are and about what you're supposed to do with your life. So, this now, Luke 22, the Lord had just told him he's about to go and die. Look, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to really abuse me. They're going to mistreat me. And then they're going to kill me. And then I'm going to rise up from the dead. So they began to think, mm, the man is going, you know. They didn't even hear rise from the dead. He's going to go and die. So who takes over? <laughs> Seriously. They're just like you. <laughs> <laughs> who takes over? I want to know. One of my pastors called me once. One day, I had a vision. I saw one of my pastors. He had lost his temper. He was really upset. I said, no, you don't need that anointing. So I called him. I said, listen, has anything happened between you and your leaders? He said, no, nothing. I said, watch what's going to, watch, be very careful. He said, yes, Bishop. Two days later, one of his pastors said to him, called a meeting, one of the junior pastors called a meeting, said, we, I want to know who is in charge when you're not here. So, mm. so he said, uh, okay, this one's in charge. This one. Yeah, but who is in charge when you're not here? Uh, I said, this one is in charge, not to you. No, but who's in charge? Then later on, that same pastor called all the other pastors and said, let's all not support the man. Let's all not turn up in church on Sunday to our various churches. He said, Bishop, if you had not warned me, I would have cursed him. I would have cursed him. So, sometimes people want to know who's in charge. Who's in charge? And this is what happened here. He says, now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. When you read this, you, you will think, oh, it's not me. But you know, in our own context, we think like this. Who's the greatest? Yeah, you might be, you might be senior pastor, but who's the greatest? Is it John? Is it Steve? It's not Aisha, it's a woman, not Aisha. Some people will say that. Some people will say that. I'm not saying that. I said some people will say that. Don't, I'm just telling you how mad people can be. Who's, who's the greatest? Have you ever thought that? Look, me, I'll be honest with you, those kind of thoughts, I've thought them a lot when I look at myself and my problems. Who's the greatest? I remember many years ago, I said to the Lord, I'd like to be high up. Then I started to think, no, I, I want to go beyond the angels. No, I want to go. <laughs> Insanity. Let's move on. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise, he's kind of repeating himself. In case, you know, so he kind of repeated what he had told them earlier on because there is no other truth. <laughs> When it comes to this, and the king, and the, and those who are, um, sorry, the kings of Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. So. By his conduct on a daily basis, he demonstrated servitude and servanthood. It wasn't a one-off thing that the Lord did. 
He did it all the time. He did it all the time. He demonstrated by how he was week in, week out among them that he was a servant. That's why they could say all kinds of things to him. And so once in a while, he would have to remind them, hey, guys, I'm actually in charge, you know. Because they took it for granted. Why do you think Judas could steal? I mean, you're walking with Jesus. If you're going to steal money, steal with somebody else who's not that anointed. But he's stealing money. And because of the way the Lord is, he's comfortable. You see, I'm not even as anointed as Pastor Steve when it comes to revelation. But the little thing, sometimes people think, I know, and I, I really ain't got a clue. They say, yeah, you know already, don't you? <laughs> and sometimes I pretend, I say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know already. But I don't. I just lied. I mean, sorry. Let's just be honest. Yeah. Because I look like I know, but I don't. <laughs> Just be honest. Oh, we need help. We all need help. Tell your neighbor you need help. Tell your neighbor you need help. No, no. Yeah. Five minutes and I'm done. <laughs> He's among them as one who serves. Verse 20. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, these verses are awesome. They are awesome. If you understand the paradigm that our Lord had and what he was teaching the disciples and what we need to embrace as his children. But I want you to notice the following things about greatness, how greatness is gained and develop within the kingdom of God. Number one, the Lord Jesus must always be honored. Verse 24 says, there was a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. You see, where the Lord is absent, the dispute of greatness is inevitable. So where you find people starting to jostle for power and position is because the Lord is no longer present. When you find, for instance, let me give this example. Please, don't misunderstand me. I'm just choosing an example. You have someone like Olu comes in who's very anointed, an anointed worship leader. He's been a worship leader in his church. You know, a great guy, great man of God. He comes in our church. You see him. He's just very ordinary. Ordinary. Um, Awesome voice. Has a servant heart. So let's just say for argument's sake, because of the grace on this life, I say, Jake, my friend, you've been really good, you know. But another has come. And so, you know, Jake, once he's gone through membership, make sure he's, he's, you become his assistant. Because, no, that would be a bad call because even though he's great, there are levels. So, but let's just say we made that call. Let's just say we made that call. Although Jake will think, okay, that's a bit weird. But hey, Pastor, I trust you. What he won't think is, well, I've been here for all these years. And you just come in and take over. He won't think that. I know he won't think that. He will not allow himself to think that. But I wonder whether you will think that. See, because where Jesus is being honored, we don't care about who gets the position. We don't. We're not bothered about that. What we're bothered about is grace. It's grace. That's what we're concerned about. Not about who's senior to who. We're not interested. It's grace. Can you say amen, somebody? Yeah. So, even as our church grows and, you know, we're going to go for a phase where it's going to boom, and all kinds of people are going to come, some of them will come and they'll take positions of authority that some of you who've been here for many years from the beginning, if you're not careful, you say, hey, we've labored for 11 hours and this guy has just come for one hour and you're giving him the same reward. No, we're giving him a greater reward, not the same. It's grace. 
Because at the end of the day, we're trying to honor the Lord Jesus. Period. Are you, are you listening to me? The yes was a bit lame. Are you listening to me? The Lord Jesus must always be honest. Second thing about greatness is this, in the kingdom, the world's concept of leadership must be rejected. It must be rejected. The idea that leadership has to do with my authority, my honor, my privilege, it must be rejected. We are not interested in that in this church. We're not interested in that in our life. We're not interested in that as a mindset. Just because I'm the senior pastor does not mean I'm a senior person. I'm not. I'm a senior pastor in terms of my function. So in other words, I'm going to get bigger lashes than the next person on that day if I dishonor the role I'm supposed to function in. And so I have to become even lower in the sight of the people of God. It must be rejected. Verse 25, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship. Third point is this. We must adopt, if we want to be great in leadership and in the kingdom, we must adopt a posture of least and servitude as our influence increases and our responsibility grows. We adopt a mindset of least and I'm willing to serve. The more anointing, the more grace, the more revelation, the more of the supernatural that flows through us, the more we have a mindset of, boy, in this church, honestly, I'm, I'm actually the lowest. I've got issues. I need help. Um, and so when people come and they are blessed through our hands, we don't feel a sense of self-importance, but we have a sense of gratefulness and privilege. Sometimes, the other day when I lost it, I, I asked myself, I asked the Lord, why will you trust me with people when I behave like that? Why should you trust me with quality people like Pastor Peter when I behave like that? I don't deserve that. You shouldn't be trusting me. I shouldn't be trusted like that because how can I lose my temper like that over stupid, over something? Yeah, the guy did the wrong thing, but I shouldn't lose my temper like that. It's nonsense. You have to forgive me, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. It's ridiculous. You have to learn to judge yourself. You have to judge yourself properly. When you, when, you, when you get it wrong, don't try and style it. You know, you have to understand. As a man of God, as a father in the house, and sometimes I say these stupid things as well. As a father, I will lose my temper, but I'm still your father. You, you, you're an idiot, Joseph. You're, so I tell myself, this, no, you're actually an idiot. Stop being stupid. You're being proud. You're being like the world. This is the way of the world. The more your responsibility, the more the grace, the more the anointing, the more you must see yourself as least. Paul said, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit the chief of sinners was chosen so that Christ could reveal or make me a pattern of what it means to be an apostle. He wasn't being humble. He was being, well, he was being humble, and it means he was being true. He was being real. He realized with the level of grace I have and how I behave, I am the worst of sinners. He wasn't stealing money. He wasn't lying. He wasn't cheating. But as more grace comes into your life, you have to see yourself in relation to God's perspective. Can you say amen? We'll stop there and we're going to pray. I'm going to pray. So I want to encourage you that you're, you're called to leadership. But the leadership is through servanthood. It's through serving. It's through putting others first. It's through honoring Jesus. That's how our leadership is manifest. That's how we do it in the kingdom of God. It's not about position. It's not about titles. It's not about who gets the acknowledgement. Leadership, certainly in our context here as a church, is not about position. It's about function. It's about function. If there is a privilege that is attached to certain responsibilities, it's not because the people are more important. It's in order for them to be able to do their job better. That's it. That's it. I want us to pray.